You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. On with Gene and Chris on this week's episode of the Paracast. You know, as many of our listeners are aware, we use a Microsoft product grudgingly for our networking, which is Skype. And Skype is not just used for radio shows or podcasts in general. They use it on TV, too, now. This way they don't have to send the big trucks with the satellite dishes around the world. They use Skype. The problem with Skype is that it's not very reliable. As a lot of our listeners know, when it works, the sound quality is good. Chris sounds almost as good as if he was across the room from me. Almost as good, but not quite. Sometimes you get garbling connections, and sometimes we get disconnects. You have no idea what we go through sometimes to get these shows done. (laughs) Boy, ain't that the truth. Right. But then, you know, I can't have Chris drive down 100 miles each way to do this live. We don't need to do that anymore. This is the generation of telecommuting or something. In any case, this is the second week in a row that we have sad news to report. Last week, we mentioned that a talk show host, paranormal talk show host by the name of Kevin Smith, no relationship that I know of to the famous movie director, died of a heart condition. And now we hear Dr. Jesse Marcel, possibly one of the last living witnesses to Roswell, died this past week. Did you meet Dr. Marcel? You know, I, I did. Of course, you know, I've known for years about uh, Jesse's story of being a kid and seeing um, his dad, Jesse Marcel Sr., come in with the Roswell debris, spread it out on the floor and have him come in and check it out. I had never had the uh, the pleasure of meeting him until the recent uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, citizen disclosure faux hearings. And uh, I had a chance to to meet him and talk with him for a few minutes. He, he was really a sweet guy. Uh, I was taken by his testimony. Um, I think it was was quite heartfelt and and. And it was important, I think, uh, for the hearings to to have him there. And uh, I'm sure he will be missed by a lot of people who are interested in Roswell, uh, especially the researchers out there over the years who have uh, befriended him and, and, and gotten to know him. He just seemed like a really sweet guy and, and a real a real true blue American, too. I mean, uh, it was just recently that he was flying helicopters uh, and doing uh, medical work over in, in, uh, in the Middle East uh, with the troops. So... Uh, he'll be missed, and and you're right. We are losing, you know, most of our, our primary witnesses now are are passed on for the Roswell event. Now, for those who want to check our archives, we had Dr. Marcel on two episodes of the Paracast, August first, two thousand six, our first year on the air, and November sixteenth, two thousand eight. Now, an important thing we should also mention here about Dr. Marcel is the fact that he suffered from his service in Iraq. According to Kevin Randall, who did a eulogy for him at his blog, A Different Perspective, Jesse Marcel suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's so sad that people who go there, go overseas to defend our country, and they come back and they're really, really screwed up. This very much impacted his medical career as a result of this. I would check out Kevin's blog it's called A Different Perspective, kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Or if you go to thepowercast.com, just about everywhere we mention Kevin Randall, 
as a guest on the show, you'll have a link to his articles. So I would recommend that. But I think part of it here is that you have to wonder when it comes to a case like Roswell, will we ever get to the bottom of it? I mean, we see the history passing before our eyes, and there was kind of a gruesome joke some people mentioned were chasing the undertaker. Now, Dr. Marcel saw the wreckage of Roswell. I gather he touched it also, as I recall, right? Yeah. So we have that description, a very compelling description of somebody who was 11 years old at the time this happened. And we have to assume any adults in the room, if they're still alive, would be in their 80s and 90s. So where do we go from here? Is there any hope of learning anything more about Roswell unless the authorities have some kind of secret evidence that they're not letting us know about? I'm not going to hold my breath, Gene. (laughs) And we still have the argument. Was Roswell a test aircraft? Was it a balloon? I mean, we can go into all the stories of why it can't be a balloon, why it can't be a mogul balloon, anything like that. But so many years distant from the event, and the fact also that after the Roswell story came out in 1947, it lay dormant for the next 30 years or so until William Moore, Stan Friedman, and Charles Berlitz started doing research on a book about Roswell, which came out in 1980. So in 30 years, you still have to think about the cultural contamination. Now, when you're doing your investigation into cattle mutilations and other paranormal events, Christopher, as a field investigator, how do you consider doing research of events that are so far off in the past? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a good question, Gene. You know, it just, it's, it's quality of sources. Um, to give you an example, for many years I heard rumors of a um, wave of mutilation cases that occurred in England in the early um, 1600s in the 15th century. And, and it took a lot of digging, but I finally did find this particular um, citation uh, from the court records of James I. And, you know, I had always prefaced my comments about this prior to finding this documentation, that, that this, this was a rumor that I had heard, but I had not been able to, to confirm it um, and be able to quote you know, chapter and verse where, where this rumor originated and, and whether it was legit. And I finally did find it. And the our actual documentation train uh, was very interesting and uh, extremely credible. So, you know, it's, it's really the credibility of the sources and being able to confirm that source in some manner. Uh, that, that's the key thing for me. Again, you know, data is data, and rumors and stories and urban legends are, are, are just that. So that's kind of where I sort of draw the line. If I can, if I can get documentation, if I can cite it, um, the source material and, and then get confirmation of that, then I'll, I'll run with it. I think this came into play when we had our guest last week, Chad Lewis, talking about the Van Meter episode, right. about a bat-like creature, a possible Iowa Mothman. And once again, looking into old documentation to see what happened. In his case, he had access to newspaper clippings, including the movers and shakers of that community. So it certainly had credibility. We don't know really what happened, but at least we have something where there is source material. And as I keep arguing here, that goes back to this other case in the UFO field, Aztec, where you don't have the documentation preceding right. this book. 
Now, a little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Walter Bosley. He's a former counterintelligence agent, and he can prove it, by the way. He's actually sent us more credentials than you can wish for. And you have to contrast that with people who claim to have experiences or educational or a military background and have no evidence. He provided the evidence. <laughs> Boy, did he. <laughs> oh, we got, uh, we got his DD-214. The DD-214 is, of course, your military certificate when you're discharged. You have that paper to prove who and what you were. And you'd be surprised how many people claim that experience. And when you say DD-214, they go, what? I'll get back to you five years later. Now, Walter has two ebooks out there called Empire of the Wheel, and it starts with a strange, rather gruesome story of questionable deaths going back almost 100 years. Once again, doing research of an event that happened a long, long time ago, trying to unearth the facts, trying to come up with a credible narrative as to what might have happened. This is going to be a fascinating session. And we're talking about here a guy who's been in the FBI, been in military counterintelligence. He's a private investigator. He knows his stuff about unearthing facts, and you're going to hear some really fascinating stuff. So we've got Walter Bosley joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs? Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. 
We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All Renovation Teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order Renovation Teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Summertime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's summer specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, Colon Enhancer, Sea Cucumber, Super Fam and Super Male Plex, plus Glucosamine Chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag Vitamin D, and our colloidal minerals, all on sale for summer at HerbalHealer.com and Herbal Healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education. Since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy at HerbalHealer.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Yes, he worked for the FBI. Yes, he's a former counterintelligence agent. His name was Walter Bosley. He's been on the Paracast several times before. But this time we're going to sharply focus not on UFOs and disinformation and all that NSA stuff that's going on, but on his two books, Empire of the Wheel, the original, and the sequel, Empire of the Wheel 2. But before we go to that, Walter Bosley, first, welcome back to the Paracast. Thanks for having me, Chris and Gene. I appreciate it. Now... Unfortunately, we found in this field, as you know, you got into this discussion in our forums at forum.theparacast.com, where people Mm -hmm. legitimately ask for your credentials, your background. And let me preface this by the fact that a couple of years back, we discovered that Phil Ambrogno, who was pretty well known in the UFO field, who had written a book with Dr. J. Allen Hynek, his educational credentials were fake, his military background was fake. And now there's this article at Kevin Randall's Different Perspective about a guy who really did have military service, did receive lots of accolades in a long career, named Richard French, yet his current claim, half his credentials were faked, his educational credentials were faked. He claims to have been one of the authors of Project Blue Book documents, and we can't verify that either. So I guess we're seeing here, Walter, that even people who have somewhat of a background aren't afraid to embellish a little bit. Unfortunately, that is the case. You know, that, that's, that's why, for one thing, investigative agencies have uh, things like internal affairs departments, because 
you know, unfortunately, there are people who, um, to some degree, are involved, are, are credentialed, are legit, but they seem to want to cross a line. And um, in that, I'm not familiar personally with the Richard French case, but from what you've just said here, it, it sounds like a guy who, you know, wanted to be involved with something now that he feels is exciting and interesting and, you know, has crossed a line just to, uh, to buy some attention so to speak. It, it's, it's yeah, he was actually, Walter, just for your information, he was included in the the list of witnesses at the recent Citizens Hearing on Disclosure uh, faux hearings in, in D.C. He actually contacted me a number of years ago and and really he bugged me to uh, to sit and talk with him. And I just always had a sense that I never did follow up on it. And I just felt that some of his claims uh, the the few of them that I was aware of just seemed so over the top that, you know, I, I just didn't waste my time with it. And I'm not surprised to hear that he's being the veracity of, of, of his background and some of his statements are being questioned by by someone like Kevin. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, well, I, I, I try to be clear with people on, on what I was and what I was not. You know, sometimes people, when I was doing my um, work where I was out of the country a lot in counterterrorism, you know, friends and associates, acquaintances would um, kind of describe what I would do. And sometimes they would get it wrong. They would, you know, tell somebody, you know, I was more in the lines of some type of commando type guy. And I would correct them and say, no, 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 I, I didn't do that type of work. I was more kind of in the, the, the spook field and the threat assessment field, that kind of thing, um, never a commando. So I try to be really sensitive to the descriptions and make sure that I'm being as uh, accurate and correct as I can possibly be. Okay, now I guess the key here is because of what you've done, and we'll ask you to very briefly just mention uh-huh. it, we're not going to extend a long discussion on it. Are you constrained in any way from telling us the things you did? Well, yes, I'm constrained in the details of operations. I'm constrained in telling, you know, like certain people uh, or identifying, you know, certain people who I I might have worked with uh, operationally. Um, But in a general sense, you know, as I've stated uh, before, you know, I I can I can state uh, the the fact that I worked in counterespionage operations. That in itself is not classified. The fact that the U.S. government does you know, conducts double agent operations. This is no secret. This kind of thing, you know, has been going on since World War II and before. So, um, well, source, sources and methods uh, are where you start getting into a little sensitive areas. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually mostly because, um, uh, in all honesty, a lot of the sources and or, or the methods, anyway, um, they're kind of out there. You know, the, these things surprisingly don't really change that much except where the technological stuff is concerned. It's when you get into human sources and when you get into identifying a specific, certain specific people um, associated with certain specific places and targets, then then I could get in big trouble because that's revealing um, operational things that I'm not at liberty to discuss. Now, when we look at things like on TV, we have a TV show called Covert Affairs, on the USA Network, which you're probably familiar with, produced by one of the producers of the Bourne movies. So it has Mm -hmm. some pretty good action, and they've got this lead actress, woman in her early 30s, who plays a young CIA agent who goes around the world and gets into all sorts of trouble. 
But you also have interplays between the office. You have the office politics. You have people getting involved with one another, people trying to discredit one another, people trying to kill one another. And how exaggerated is something like that from the real world of intelligence? Well, for most of my experience, over roughly 18 years, um, I would say, I would have said, that it's greatly exaggerated. Um, however, <laughs> I did work with, with one outfit, um, which astonishingly, that, that wouldn't be exaggerated. I mean, th- th- this one unit had um, the worst management I'd ever encountered. Um, it had a click that was powerful um, because they were in tight with the bad manager. And the clicks members, um, you know, would make it their, uh, their little hobby to destroy people they didn't like personally. Um, let's see. Uh, there was a lot of um, getting involved w- with each other. You might say uh, it was it was quite uh, it was quite a um, a, a toxic soap opera <laughs> in in that that one unit. So I had, I have experienced some of the melodrama, you know, that can happen. Now all throughout my career, you know, just like anyone who's worked for Uncle Sam will tell you. You encounter incompetent management. You encounter, you know, office politics. But fortunately, I can say that most of my career was spent um, in the uh, operational arena. So, like, when I was with the FBI, I worked in what they call off-site locations, and our daily focus were um, operations. And when I was in OSI, um, I spent, you know, about half my time working in an office you know, detached from the main office, that kind of thing. So I was fortunate, um, except for that one unit. Um, I really didn't encounter a lot of that stuff like you see on TV shows. And, and as you could guess, they, they take uh, a creative license to make it more interesting to watch. Of course, because it has to be resolved in 43 and a half minutes, plus the commercials. Exactly. Otherwise, listen, that's how it goes. But, you know, the office politics, it doesn't just apply to intelligence or police agents. It's everywhere. We've got Walter Bosley, and it sounds like he's been everywhere. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
There is only one detox product that stands out above the rest. Micro Plant Powder. And it's available only at HempUSA.org. Micro Plant Powder does wonders by removing toxins from the body. Detoxification is a vital process that's extremely important for restoring your health. Micro Plant Powder is available in eight different formulations, and we can help you choose the one that's perfect for your lifestyle. Micro Plant Powder is 100% chemical-free, non-GMO, anti-inflammatory, gluten-free, and packaged by hand in BPA-free containers. HempUSA.org wants you to be healthy, and Micro Plant Powder is one of the best ways we know to detoxify your body from head to toe, all for about $10 a month. Take back your life and enjoy living again with Micro Plant Plant powder. Call 888-910-4367. That's 888-910-4367. Micro plant powder. Available only at HempUSA.org. There's a huge and hushed up conspiracy going on that's about to turn your lives upside down in the coming few months. Unbelievably, the media are keeping quiet about this. I'm sure they know it, but they probably know that revealing it on TV will generate mass hysteria and chaos. But I believe you should be informed about it, because when the sinister agenda is finally accomplished and everything unravels, only those who know this secret info will survive and thrive. Go to 123conspiracy.com right now to see the truth. The video at 123conspiracy.com reveals the real, secret reason why Obama is after your guns and ammo. And it's not just in response to mass murders of preparing for war. It's something much darker. Go watch the video now at 123conspiracy.com before they shut it down. Again, that's 123conspiracy.com. Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Ginny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease, decay, or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. Or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Walter Bosley joins us, former counterintelligence agent. And can we assume, Walter Bosley, that you're not doing that now? You're totally yeah. retired from that crazy life, and you're just a regular private citizen like the rest you, of us. You- Yes, you can safely and honestly assume that. It would be nice to be otherwise because I'd be getting a nice fat paycheck. Um, <laughs> but I'm out here like the rest of you guys, you know, just trying to scrape by um, on a private investigator's license, which I, I do have. I, I am a private investigator. And also, you know, doing my research and doing films, you know, a little bit. So um, I've been out of that since, out of the, uh, the my former profession since, 
about 2006. For a couple of years there, I did background investigations for the government under contract, but um, haven't done that since 2008. All right, let's talk about these two books, Empire mm-hmm. of the Wheel. The first one's called Empire of the Wheel, Espionage, the Occult, and Murder in Southern California. And the second one, the sequel, is called Friends from Sonora. And I think one of the issues that Chris and I raised before we got you on is trying to put together the pieces of something that happened so long ago. We're talking about Mm -hmm. something here that goes back to what, 1915? Yeah, 98 years ago. I remember it well, my friend. (laughs) And and talk about trying to put together the pieces. I mean, you're you're absolutely right there. It, It. it is difficult. You know, you run into, uh, for instance, the, the police department um, here uh, told me that uh, their, their records were destroyed. They no longer exist in my particular, when I did my particular query there. It, it's a chore to, you know, dig it out. You wouldn't think so because, you know, a lot of um, historical record going farther back um you know, does exist on the one hand with some things, but in this particular case, I really had the newspaper, local newspaper articles, and a little bit of um, archived uh, records, uh, genealogical records, coroner records, which which are scant. It, it really comes down to an analysis of something's going on here. What the heck exactly is it? But at least we didn't have cable TV talking heads. I mean, if you try to parse together what's happened, with today's Mm -hmm. news, you will hear two diametrically opposed versions of the same story, not related to one another. And today, Mm -hmm. I think we have so much information, there's no way to find out what's really going on. So maybe you were lucky because mass communications wasn't quite what it was then. Right. Well, you have a good point there. Um, the, The problem that I did run into was the, um, uh, wow, the disconnect uh, between all the news reports. And uh, you you can read three news reports on the same day of the same event. And, uh, you know, each one has the details and the facts a little different, a little off in some cases. Now, they finally started to to get it right, so to speak, um, or be all on the same page. But there was a period of time when I was researching um, one aspect of this whole thing in which a chunk of news reports um, indicated that the, the, the central victim of the seven that are discussed from in the first book was actually, uh, you know, uh, actually alive. The, uh, at least the woman they identified her to be was alive, and she walked into the police department and said, "Oh no, no, I'm alive." But then, as you dig further, you find out no, that was not the case, and all of that is kind of like a red herring. That uh, indeed, the mystery woman, so to speak, uh, really, really was a mystery woman. All right, let's talk about the mystery. What first? attracted you to this story i mean just waking up one day and saying hey this is a strange thing that happened 98 years ago and was certainly less than that when you started Mm -hmm. why well i was interested in paranormal stories specifically any ghost stories that um were linked to uh what we call colloquially the ley lines which i've since started calling telluric current uh basically the energy grid 
you know, on the planet that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are already familiar with the, the basic concept of. And I was looking for any ghost stories in this area linked to the energy grid identified to me by author and researcher Sachary. Before we go on, listeners may not know what we're talking about here, so we really have to kind of back up a little bit. Explain sure. the ley lines, the energy sources, and what significance this has, and then we can go into more of this case. Okay. Colloquially, familiarly, sorry, I'm stumbling over my tongue. It's early for me. <laughs> People are familiar with the term ley lines. That's actually not accurate. A, a ley line is, is technically something different. So I like to say, and, and Rick Spence and I, my co-author on the first book and uh, on the upcoming third book, um, we, we like to say telluric current. Telluric current is something that it, it's it's a scientific fact. It's, it's an extreme low frequency um, electromagnetic energy that actually runs through the Earth. Um, telegraphy, you know, the old telegraph uh, with the Morse code from the 1800s. Telegraphy from the 1850s on has tapped into um, telluric current. Um, Tesla, for instance, Nikola Tesla would tap into telluric current. But this telluric current is, in my opinion and others' opinion, the energy we're talking about when people talk about this planetary grid of energy that is popular in um, paranormal and alternative science circles. But the telluric current has a, has a uh, basis in scientific fact. It, it's a real thing. So when you hear me refer to, you know, if I throw out the term ley lines in the discussion, um, I, I mostly am going to use telluric current, but if I throw out ley lines, that's my application of it. it it's the energy that runs through the very terrain. It, it helped form the terrain when, when the planet was forming, and then it continues to run through um, the, the planet. So that's my best thumbnail description. I'm not a scientist, of course. Okay, so there's the implication here that maybe these particular areas they attract more unusual events? I mean, we're almost sure, getting yeah. to what they call portal areas, but that would seem to be something separate. Well, no, you, you know, your portals, your vortex, your vortices, you know, these, these things, yes, would be linked to this, this grid. Um, I agree with that particular uh, opinion that uh, many others share. And so I was looking for ghost stories you know, or other paranormal manifestations reported um, that might be linked to this this energy grid. And I happened to find one. Um, and this story was, it, it was really um, uh, posted online by a woman who lives locally who's a librarian, a woman named Ann Walker. And she's one of the folks who um, had posted on this uh, website called Find a Grave. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it, but it's, it's a fascinating website, particularly if you're into genealogical research. And she had posted a comment about a woman named Cora Stanton. And essentially, she claimed that Cora Stanton haunted a mall, a shopping mall, that I subsequently learned was built over the place where this Cora Stanton woman had died. So I thought, well, that's interesting. I got to talk to, uh, you know, I got to dig into this more because, you know, my first conversations online with Ann, you know, were intriguing enough. So I met with her and she gave me, you know, the details as she knew them. She said, hey, go look at the news stories. This woman, it was in 1915. There was all this uh, murky mystery surrounding her death. 
um, that, you know, there's, there's something funny going on there. So I, I went to the, um, the California room of the local San Bernardino Public Library. That's their historical archive, archive room. And I started looking at these newspaper articles about the woman known as Cora Stanton. And I very quickly discovered that there were six uh, other people who died under very curious circumstances you know, within days or, or weeks of Cora Stanton, one of them um, a few months, but, you know, suddenly it was just kind of boom right there in my lap that, uh, hmm, there was, there was something funny going on here. Walter Bosley joining Gene and Chris. More to come. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at webtv.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. You've thought about it for years. Well, the time is now. You need a secret bunker, and you need it deep and strong. Atlas Survival Shelters should be your first and only choice. The experts at Atlas can help you choose a shelter that has all the comforts of your home and is 11 times stronger than square box shelters. Call Atlas at 1-855-4-BUNKERS. 1-855-4-BUNKERS. Or visit IWantThatBunker.com. Atlas Survival Shelters. Better prepared than scared. Ceramic Body Armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike Ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel Body Armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit. Alabama, it's coming, and it's the event you and your family will not want to miss. The Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, Saturday and Sunday, September 7th and 8th, at the newly renovated Oxford Civic Center in Oxford, Alabama, where admission is totally free. There's something for everyone. Free classes and seminars on topics like food preparation, food harvesting, and food preservation. Free giveaways every 30 minutes. You could win seed kits, food, doTERRA oil, starter kits, water filters, and more, including a year's supply of 
food. Guest speakers include Bob from Black Dog Survival School, Mike from White Harvest Seeds, Dr. Tom Stoner from Dr. Med Kits, and more. And be sure to stop by and check out the Longevity Booth, the Southern Preppers Convention and Green Living Expo, September 7th and 8th, a weekend of education and preparation that's totally free to attend. Don't forget, the Country Inn and Suites in Oxford has special rates available for those who attend the expo. Get all the details at thesouthernpreppers.com. That's thesouthernpreppers.com. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. On the Paracast, we're going back into time to 1915. Grizzly murders. What attracted Walter Bosley and his co-author to look at this? Just funny, I was mentioning that TV series Covert Affairs about the young, pretty... CIA agent, of course, the name she uses on the air is Annie Walker, and you were in touch with someone named Ann Walker. Very strange. You're kidding me. I've never watched Covert Affairs. It, <laughs> Ann, Annie Walker, huh? That's right. <laughs> well, you, you know, that's a whole other show, the, 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 a show about synchronicity. I was thinking <laughs> about that because you wonder if they just picked that name out of whole cloth or they had some reason for it. Okay. So you got pieced together something that happened in 1915. You go to the library. You start putting it together. What next? Well, as I said, I noticed, you know, there's something funny going on here because uh, along with this mystery woman, we have six other people who who died under very curious circumstances within days or weeks um, of this woman, you know, before and after. And my research quickly went from a fun you know, little hunt for ghost stories to something quite a bit more serious. Um, my initial gut impression was that there was a serial killer operating in San Bernardino in 1915. Very intriguing, you know, idea. And so I set out to gather any evidence I could that would, you know, tell me if my gut feeling was, you know, accurate or not. And the more I looked at it, the more the stranger it got, and yet part of the um, strange aspect of it was it it really I came away and and others that looked at it um, with me came away with the idea that the police were not sharing everything they knew with the uh, newspaper men um, as they should 
and, and that was correct. They shouldn't have because the newspaper men were getting stuff wrong left and right to begin with. And that the community just kind of wanted this to go away afterwards because you never find another mention of it again in the local newspapers or local history at all until my first book. Um, so it you know went almost a hundred years until it was publicly mentioned again. But let, let's just say by uh, January 1916, this issue was buried. And, and I think, Walter, we should remind people that a hundred years ago, San Bernardino was not the the big, thriving, populated place that it is today. I mean, we're talking about a relatively small rural um, agricultural community, if, if memory serves me correct, uh, from reading your book. I mean, the population back then was 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 tiny compared. It was about twelve thousand. Okay, twelve thousand people. In today's world, that's like a, a, a small town. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. T- today, but, there's 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 hundreds of thousands of people that live in the area. So so a, a, a series of of deaths, you know, suspicious, possibly um, at the very least. Um, unexplained and curious deaths in a small town like that, you would think that this would reverberate through the through the community. Uh, and you're saying that this pretty much uh, within a year, I mean, boom, that was it. Well, what's interesting is at the time, you, you have to remember, as you said, yes, San Bernardino was small in today's terms. However, back then, what I discovered, right right now, San Bernardino and what they call the 909 and, the, and, and this part of the Inland Empire – um, it's the butt of a lot of jokes because, quite frankly, I mean, San Bernardino's just gone bankrupt. San Bernardino has been, um, quite frankly, not not really a great place um, for too many years now. Back then, and this surprised me because I have spent a good chunk of my life in this area, you know, coming and going. I was surprised to find that San Bernardino, back in 1915, was the garden spot of Southern California. Um, tourists from all over the country and from all over the world, if they came to Southern California, they came to San Bernardino and particularly to visit the park that was here. It's called Urbita Springs Park. It had a big lake. It had um, um, rides, carnival rides. It had bandstands. I mean, it was the Disneyland of its day. And it and like I said, I grew up and spent a lot of time here throughout my life, and I was totally surprised. I had never really looked into it, but I'd never heard of this. Um, and it was in the lake at Urbita Springs Park that the woman, Cora Stanton, died. And, you know, this mystery is uh, surrounded. So um, San Bernardino, even though by today's standards, yes, you know, 12,000 people, you know, isn't very big. And even then, even then, you know, it, it was that wasn't very big. However, on their 4th of July picnic, um, they used to draw a crowd bigger than the population of the city. Now, this is according to uh, more than one report back then. I mean, you know, so they would draw, you know, fifteen to 20,000 people or more to their park for their 4th of July celebration. So it, it really was this, this wonderful place that, you know, over the years just kind of faded away. Um, and it lends to the whole mystique you know, of what what I've researched. Now, when you're looking over mysterious deaths, mm-hmm. I think a simple question here before we go on, was anybody uh, caught? Did they ever find a perpetrator? No, no. And here's the thing. It did not go reported 
as a serial murder, of course. And and back then, you know, America had already had H.H. H. Holmes in the 1890s. And, you know, England, had, of course, had Jack the Ripper before that. So the concept of a serial killer um, was not completely unknown, maybe not under that term. You know, they would have called him a mass murder or something. But what what was very suspicious to me was that you had seven people, uh, three of them alleged suicides, but there were strange circumstances around their alleged suicides. Uh, one of them was just uh, supposedly just a mere boating accident, but the other three were minors. They were two small children and a teenager, and they were poisoned. And what was what was astonishing to me was that when you look at these newspaper reports, you know the parents of the of the kids were cleared. You know that they had nothing to do with it. Um, the two small children, it was reported that they had very likely been given poison candy, but the report never goes into who gave it to them. It doesn't even mention. Gosh, you know we have some fiend running around who's you know giving these children poison candy. It just says that they briefly considered you know that the kids had eaten match heads, but it was you know later uh, reported that they had been given poison candy. And the teenage girl that she had eaten a poisoned orange, and nobody knew where she got it from. But uh, here's the other interesting thing. Back then, forensics regarding toxins was a little bit more advanced than you might think, and poisoning was one of the most popular methods to murder people. There were a lot of um, murder cases that involved poisoning. The toxins that killed these children were never identified. I thought that was very uh, interesting. And uh, but But with all this going on, you... You don't have any mention of possibly, you know, there's a killer out there. Now, there was one guy who was arrested on a train, and he was kind of ended up being a loose thread in the first book. And when I pulled that thread, he became much more important in the second book. But he was a young guy in his early 20s, arrested on a train just less than two weeks, uh, or around 10 days after the death of the woman, Cora Stanton. And he's found with a woman's purse. He is hallucinating. He's basically having a nervous breakdown. And he's claiming that he sees the face of a woman who others are accusing him of assaulting. Now, he's taken off the train and he's uh, committed into the local uh, hospital. I believe County Hospital was the, the, the hospital because that was the, um, the, the logical choice and, and the available details. Uh, I was able to confirm that he didn't go to Patton state hospital. But the interesting thing was, is here we have this mysterious death of this woman and all these curious deaths going on. And here we have a guy arrested on a train in possession of a woman's purse. Um, and he's committed into the hospital. He's freaking out. You would think, oh, well, here's your guy. You know, he was on a train trying to get out of town. Well, the police and the hospital release him into the custody of these unidentified Friends from Sonora, and off he goes, and there's never a mention of him again. Obviously, they didn't have a very good vetting process, or maybe they were so overcrowded they just wanted to get rid of the guy. There's so many more questions to ask about that, and also whether, and this is something you see on shows like Criminal Minds, anything has ever happened in that community, say 10, 20, 30 years later, that may have seemed superficially unrelated. 
you know, further investigations. Maybe it'll start him on a third and fourth book, although he's got the third one is under construction now. Walter Bosley has joined us. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30-day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast exploring these horrible apparent murders going back to 1915 in San Bernardino, California. Very different place than it is today. Okay, Walter Bosley. One thing, of course, we see on those TV shows is you always look for a signature of a serial killer. For some reason, they have to do things in the same way. But the first killing was different from the remaining six. Yes. Yes, indeed. And the first book, this is where the first book discovers an interesting little association to the Zodiac Killer, um, which surprised me. I did not expect that at all. That's out of left field. How so? Well... I was looking at this, and, and for for the very thing you mentioned, you know, what what is the connection here? What is the the one thing that all these deaths have in common? And what I found, going back to the original uh, thing that led me to the Coruscant story to begin with, was that all these deaths occurred in physical proximity to 
the energy grid. Now, yes, the energy grid is theoretical. Yes, um, the map that I had in my possession for almost a year before I discovered this mystery for, for other research purposes, um, th this is done by, you know, someone whose theory is uh, that, you know, his particular mapping of the grid, which, which he, he uses geomorphology, you know, the actual curvature of the terrain and the formation of the terrain, um, yes, all of this, of course, is theoretical. We know that. Um, but uh, nonetheless, there it was. I had this map, and I'd had this map for almost a year, and when I looked at it and I, and I noticed that all these deaths could be plotted in associate physical proximity, either actually on or very, very nearly right on the lines, um, that kind of popped up you know, on my radar. That rose a flag. And as the book states, and I want to be clear here, um, you do not have to believe in the, the, the actuality of this grid or these things to understand. You don't have to believe in it yourself to understand that what, what Rick and I say in the first book is that the perpetrators, if these indeed are serial killings, the perpetrator or perpetrators, it looks like they might have believed in this stuff and that they, he, she, or they might have committed these acts in conjunction with the energy grid for whatever, you know, purposes that they believed would result. And, and that's really what the book says. The, 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 the book is not trying to convince anybody that, you know, the energy grid is real. The book presents it as, as such as we, you know, as, as it's presented and I just want to make that distinction that what we're talking about um, when we link the energy grid to these murders is that um, this is what we think was going on in the mind of the possible killer. Okay, that raises another question, which is what awareness did they have of this energy grid back in 1915? Well, as I said, uh, telluric current is something that's been well known to uh, technicians uh, since the mid-1800s, the railroad engineers knew about it. The telegrapher, um, the, you know, remember, telegraphy developed hand-in-hand -hand with the railroad. Because that's what, you know, they would string the telegraphy uh, lines uh, along the rail lines. It was what the railroad used to communicate as they were out there, you know, constructing the railroads. And um, this was, you know, the, before telephones and before email and all that, there, there was telegraphy, sending a telegraph, kind of what we do with our texting, but on our cell phones, which I find kind of amusing that in the 21st century on our telephones, essentially, we're using 19th century uh, means of communication. But you know, this is something that, that has been around. The U.S. Navy, um, in the years right up to World War I, uh, they were uh, coming up with what's called ground, well, there are ground radio systems, and, and one of them that they toyed around with was literally a ground radio system, which uh, kind of tapped into this energy going through the ground to, to simply boost um, radio capability. So this is something that's uh, very real, and, and people back then would have known about it, you know, particularly anybody who worked on the railroad. Now, here's the thing. Was there anybody who uh, might have worked on the railroad in San Bernardino in 1915? Well, by golly, um, it just so happens that the largest railroad yard 
in the western, southwest United States at that time was right here in San Bernardino. There were a lot of railroad employees, a lot right here. So this this was a major railroad hub, and that does factor, as you know in the in the first book, that factors plenty in uh, this this whole mystery. Yeah, there 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 was plenty of opportunity for um, there to be someone, you know, some psychopath or, or or whoever the perpetrator was, whatever they were, to be aware of this grid and to um, kind of apply it in what they were doing. They're using it then as an excuse. But is it possible the grid or the electromagnetic radiation impacts certain people who are unduly sensitive so they do things that maybe they wouldn't do ordinarily? Um, I don't think so. It's an extreme low frequency. Um, I think what we're talking about here is, you know, people who uh, believe, for instance, what we say is, um, we, we propose the theory that the perpetrator or perpetrators or were killing people um, in association with their perceived their, their perception of this grid in order to inject the grid with energy, which um, within their beliefs would have given them, you know, some boost in a magical working or, or served whatever their uh, aims and goals were within their own mind. Um, or, or within their, their little group, whatever they so, believed they were accomplishing. So, Walter, and, you're, you're talking about sort of a, at the time, it would be um, like a high-tech form of ritual magic is what, what I'm hearing yes. here. Exactly, exactly. Now, we're, now we're, you, you mentioned extremely low uh, frequency. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give us uh, some cycles? What are we talking about? The What is the Earth mean tone is, what, seven cycles? So where does this fall? in terms of how many cycles per second? My research uh, was uh, focused on, you know, just the idea that uh, this was uh, very possibly done by the perpetrators and why the perpetrators were doing it. But essentially, it's it's an ELF. Extreme low frequency is about to the extent I took that because that was all I, you know, that was the extent necessary at, at the time that I needed to know. Okay, yeah, it'd be interesting to know how many cycles per second we're talking about, um, because that, um, that to me, is, is important as a musician. I mean, you know, everything is frequency uh, in terms of playing notes and stuff, and I'd just kind of like to get a sense of uh, how... If, you, if you're going to look at this stuff as a ritual magician, sure, that, that kind of detail, you know, would, would be important. Remember, my focus wasn't so much on the details of you know, that kind of detail on the ritual magic, I, I was... Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the science behind this Telerik current, is what I'm, I'm talking about. What is that particular current's frequency? That, that's my question. I, I, it, I'm just I, curious. You know yeah, I don't happen to know off the top of my head, but it might, you know, provide some more um, interesting information, to be sure. Yeah, because it, you, can, you can then look at things like the Taos hum and the Kokomo hum and and various, uh, you know, extremely low frequencies that have been detected and 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 bothered to actually bother people uh, uh, sometimes if there's if they're real sensitive to it. So you know, just in your travels, or maybe ask uh, uh, Sesh about that. Uh, how many cycles are we talking about with this particular this grid? I, I'd be sure. very interested to know. Absolutely, 
I, now that you bring it up, I'm even more curious about that uh, aspect. That's the thing about this whole mystery is, and why I like talking, you know, with with uh, people about it. You know, uh, folks like you and 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 uh, uh, you know, Seshery and others is there's always something, you know, some new angle on it that I hadn't thought of that they point out, you know, from from their own experience and their own expertise. Well, I like that we sometimes start people thinking maybe a little out of the box. We're going to continue with more discussions with Walter Bosley. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker 
Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. Amino acids have to be delivered to your body in the shape that nature gave them if they are to be used to create new proteins in your body. Just like a bricklayer cannot use bent or twisted bricks to build a brick wall, so too your body cannot use bent or twisted amino acids to build new proteins. Giving your body an undamaged amino acid food can make a huge difference in your health. One World Way is an undamaged amino acid food unlike any other. You see, heating bends and twists amino acids, and all whey protein powders we've investigated and most proteins you consume are heated. With our True Cool process, you now have a choice with One World Way. My name is Daniel. I'm 34 years old. When I started using One World Way, I weighed 228 pounds. Now, after two and a half months, I weigh 182 pounds. This is my ideal weight. I've noticed an increase in stamina, rate of recovery from workouts, and an increase in my potency. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Walter Bosley joining us with Gene and Chris in the Paracast. And he's written two books that cover this case, one with Richard Spence, under the collective title Empire of the Wheel, the first espionage, the occult, and murder in Southern California, and the second one subtitled Friends from Sonora. I'm kind of interested in the way those titles work out. So let's look at that. Uh Uh-huh. All right. (laughs) The occult. What occult and or espionage aspects do you uncover? Well, in the first book, um, it pretty much illustrates what was going on in Southern California at that time relative to World War One. Europe was embroiled in uh, World War One. Uh, the United States was was not overtly yet, had not been, you know, officially brought into the war. California, I discovered as I got deeper into this, California was neck deep in foreign agent activity. German and British agents were all over the state, and also there was something called the Hindu-German alliance, because India at that time was struggling for its independence from Britain, the Germans and the in India, they had teamed up. Uh, naturally, Germany was at war with England and wanted England busy on two fronts. So what Germany was doing through California was supplying Indian agents uh, with weapons that would be smuggled out of San Diego across the Pacific to uh, what was Burma, and then into the hands of uh, Indian insurgents in India. This also kind of exploded into terrorism and sabotage going on up and down the California coast. Very interesting um, in itself. I mean, that in itself would make uh, a fascinating book. Historically, if you're looking for the evidence of this, look up the Annie Larson affair, L-A-R-S-E-N. The Annie Larson was a, was a boat that was caught with these German munitions leaving San Diego, headed for Burma, and that's how this all became uncovered. Well, the book, mine and Rick's uh, first book, Empire of the Wheel One, shows the evidence that the guns that were being smuggled from the Gulf of Mexico into Texas and through the American Southwest by rail had to have gone through the hub in San Bernardino. Now, if you're smuggling weapons, you're a, you're a military agent smuggling weapons to an ally uh, via you know railroad in this case, and 
those munitions that smuggled contraband is going to be switched from one train to another. I guarantee you, you're going to have agents there at the switch point to make sure everything goes smoothly. So between that and uh, the presence of German immigrants, which in the business of intelligence operations and such, uh, you know, you, you have to look at your immigrant communities for, uh, you know, where the agents would be buried. History has proven that. And when you're in this business, you, you learn that pretty quickly. I argue Rick agrees, and, and the book presents that there very likely were these German agents that uh, would have been there and uh, would have been overseeing the, the transfer. Right there, if you've got German agents in the area, then you're going to have British agents also. And lo and behold, just like there was a German immigrant community here, there was a British expat, so to speak, community um, right here in the Inland Empire. And a British expat was actually numbered among the seven victims, the, the seven curious deaths. And the book goes into all of this. So all of this kind of thing was going on, you know, during that era leading up to the United States going into the war. So there was the possibility that perhaps maybe some espionage skullduggery was involved in this. However, the problem there is it does not explain the deaths of the children. Walter, the parents, yes. do the parents have any connection to one another? Do they know each other? Do they have employment or did they have employment that might relate to anything, the railroad, possible none police activities? Ever, none that we could ever find. that, and, and, and I looked for that. I specifically looked for, did these kids know each other? No. The 14-year-old girl was from Redlands. The two small children, two years old and four years old, brother and sister, they were from over here, what we call East Highland. And, uh, you know, back then, even less so would uh, small Highland children be acquainted with a 14-year-old in Redlands, unless the families knew each other. And again, I was never able to find a connection there uh, with what's available. So. That makes it difficult. And I suppose if this involves some crazy spy who did mm -hmm. a little serial killing on the side, well, maybe he or she left the country long before anything was ever resolved, so that makes it even more difficult to figure it out. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if one of the agencies had employed a psychopath and there he was operating, you know, doing his uh, contracted killings, and you're right, he had the extracurricular activities on the side, that is a possibility that, you know, we bring up. You know, by no means do we say, you know, we, we've nailed it, we've, we've identified the perpetrator. Uh, we do present our theory as to who it, you know, it could have been in a general sense, but, you know, no specific identity were we ever able to uh, really point to. And that was not really, you know, entirely the point of the book. I mean, there's really quite enough there just uh, the, the first book introduces the idea that, hey, look at this. There's something funny going on here. And here's what makes it strange. But absolutely, it, it's it's somebody who came and went. You know, all we're left with is, you know, being able to speculate in as an educated manner as possible. What do the police records show here? There must be something that indicates when they just gave up the investigation. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the police department, I was told when I made my query there and requested uh, the opportunity to look at the records, I was told that those records had been put in a off-site storage location, and due to a fire, uh, they were destroyed. They no longer exist. Ain't that convenient. Yeah. 
because I would have liked to have gotten my hands on the alleged suicide note of the woman, Cora Stanton, because, uh, you know, as you know, you know, a copy of it I could have, you know, had forensically analyzed, and they could tell you things like, you know, did a, did a woman or a man write this letter? And that would have been very interesting and very telling to have a copy of that. And because she died um, a complete stranger and there was no next of kin who ever claimed her, um, her suicide note, um, the public has a right to. See, that's that's how it works. If there's family or, or, or someone who can claim the individual, the public does not have any access or right to access to the suicide note. Like they're an orphan or a stranger, an unknown, the public can get access to that. So it, it would have been interesting, absolutely. And certainly with the deaths of children, you think that parents and other relatives and friends would be spending a lot of time seeking a way to try to solve these cases, especially if you have six of them that may or may not be related. Gets to be very well, you know, the intricate. interesting thing, and the book, uh, you know, presents this. Here's what's interesting: you had three children who were clearly poisoned. Even the newspaper accounts say they were poisoned, and there was, you know, no perpetrator ever identified, and the, the toxin wasn't identified. However, the whole city was more fascinated with the woman known as Cora Stanton, and and she got all the publicity, she got all the interest, all the concern, and these three children who Rick and I are 95% certain uh, that they were murdered, they, you know... We hardly paid attention to them. Walter Bosley joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Hi there. My name is Frank Bates. What I'm about to tell you in the next 60 seconds could get me in a lot of trouble. I just created a free video presentation at 123coverup.com that exposes the electricity monopolies and government agencies for what they really are, incompetent, lying crooks that are counting on your ignorance and fear to keep your power bills criminally high. Some have called this a conspiracy. Others have called it a cover-up, and you will be shocked to find out how deep the conspiracy goes. My video at 123coverup.com exposes the truth and shows you the secret of how I beat them and how you can beat them too. Watch the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months. Go to 123coverup.com and discover one weird trick to slash your power bill and protect your home. 
Go watch my video now at 123coverup.com before they force me to shut it down. Again, that's 123coverup.com. Got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay. Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable and a whiz on the phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest largest independent talk radio networks in the world and we're hiring right now we offer benefits and an excellent commission structure experience preferred but we'll train the right person is that you submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com again that's advertise at gcnlive.com come work with the genesis communications network an equal opportunity employer normal blood pressure naturally how would that make you feel i'm don from new mexico january of 2000 i had a heart attack then my real health began going downhill and i had uh, high blood pressure high blood sugar poor vision and i really wasn't sleeping well i was a mess pretty much don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract i started taking uh, heart and body extract and from within a few days i started sleeping a lot better my blood pressure uh, normalized my blood sugar normalized and uh, my sleep really did improve Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and ninth day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking Heart and Body Extract. Details at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris, we have Walter Bosley, who's former Air Force counterintelligence agent, former member of the FBI, and private investigator trying to unearth these strange murders, apparent murders, back in 1915. Now, as we continue with this, trying to understand what happened and trying to find a connection, now, obviously, we don't have the police records unless something turned up in somebody's home. You know, you always think, you know, the classic story on Law & Order or something where one of the police detectives is frustrated over the progress or lack of progress in the case he takes the case files home. He does his own right. private investigation of it to find out what happened, but there was nothing like that ever? Nothing that I ever found. As a matter of fact, um, you know, the police department was, you know, pretty uh, firm that, uh, you know, nope, these records don't exist. Sorry, they're destroyed. Uh, you know, when I went to the coroner's office, you'll find this interesting. When I first went there to get just one of the records of the seven victims, you know, what little there was, uh, I, I went into the coroner's office. The lady who they brought out to uh, handle my request, she was very friendly, very nice. I mean, uh, just just a real nice, bubbly personality, very talkative. 
And um, about a week or so later, when my record was uh, ready, they called me. They said I could pick it up. When I went back to pick it up, the same woman was called out, and it, it was it, it was as if it was as if she was a different person. She was very cold. She was just I mean, the, she was looking at me with daggers in her eyes. Her, just one word, abrupt answers. You know, I tried to make small talk with her. She had been so friendly before, and you know, I tried to, you know, make chit-chat, hey, good morning, how you doing, that kind of thing, and she would have none of it, and she was just very cold. She goes, here's your report, and um, handed me the envelope. She stood there glaring at me as I thanked her and, and left, went out to my car and left, and I thought, wow, that's very curious. What happened between the time I made the request for this uh, 90-something-year-old uh, record and this reaction? You know, you, you have to wonder. Yeah, whether maybe she was in a bad mood. Who knows? Yeah, yeah maybe, and, bad, and, you know, I, maybe yeah. she was in a bad mood, you know. Um, who knows? But uh, you still have to kind of note it and wonder, hmm, is there something about that particular? And in that particular record, the uh, newspaper accounts have this particular victim's body found in three different places that oh, are far boy. enough away from each other that it makes you wonder, you know, okay, what exactly, what the heck was going on here? So, um, yeah, you know, now that, that that I just told you about the coroner's office, I, I didn't put that in the book. There's nothing in the book about personal experiences. This is not a book about me. This is not a book about Rick. This is a book about the situation. But, you know, that, that was something that happened in the, in the investigation that I thought was a very curious thing. Well, this whole thing is very curious, but I'm still trying to understand what possible occult aspect might be fine here. Well, the book points out the fact that San Bernardino at the time was very active in the spiritualist community. Now, the spiritualists back then, with a capital S, you know, they were the uh, the the New Age enthusiasts of their day. They, these were the people, you know, where where you would find in their circles, um, you know, your your uh, occult enthusiasts. And actually, the very first spiritualist temple. Um, established in the state of California was the temple right here in San Bernardino. It had been established established in the late 1800s by one of the original Mormon uh, uh, pioneers, um, a guy who was actually just attached to the Mormons to guide them uh, west. He he was kind of a, a not really a fully committed Mormon, you might say. But um, several of the original San Bernardino pioneers that came out with the Mormons uh, to establish the uh, the city, uh, they broke away from their association with the church, and they founded this spiritualist temple. And they were reported to have um, been quite an interesting little group. They would go into the canyons and conduct what we would call um, rituals. Um, they, it was reported that they would uh, go out there and try to um, contact um, disembodied spirits and, and entities and, and such things, such spooky uh, going on. And they were quite, felt right at home. Yeah, <laughs> they were quite present and active in 1915. In fact, several members of society were involved in this, this spiritualist temple back then, and uh, so, you know, we, we, we took a closer look at them, and we looked at spiritualist circles, 
in general um, across the U.S., and, and we found some very interesting things, um, some dark things. If you recall, in the 1920s, um, Harry Houdini very famously went after the spiritualists, and without going into that, you know, because that's a thing that people can read about, and whatever you think of that is, you know, your own opinion, uh, you know, either side. But here was the flag, um, and, and, and to go back to that, basically some people, myself included, suspect that spiritualists were involved in the death of Harry Houdini. Um, there's a whole bunch of, I like to use the word skullduggery, there's a whole bunch of mystery and skullduggery surrounding uh, Houdini's death. And um, Houdini, if those familiar with um, his fight against the spiritualists, you recall, was working very closely with a man named Walter Franklin Prince, who was the head of the American Psychical Research Society. And what was interesting, what flag totally popped up, uh, in my case, is that in 1915, the Reverend Dr. Walter Franklin Prince was the rector at St. John's Episcopal Church in San Bernardino. And... Walter Prince, the very same man who, with Houdini, went up against the spiritualists in the following decade, Walter Prince was the one who gave Cora Stanton, an alleged suicide, a very public funeral and uh, last rites and all that, which in those days was a huge no-no to do for a suicide. And that is where things really began to get uh, even more interesting on the occult angle, because if you really dig into Walter Franklin Prince, you'll find that he was an expert on uh, psychic phenomena and manifestations and uh, things that are very often, you know, connected to, um, you know, occult practices and, and such. So you had the spiritualist, and you had Walter Franklin Prince, and you had Harry Houdini himself performing in Los Angeles during the month that all this mystery was going on. Um, it uh, it begins to it begins to get a lot more interesting there. Um, and to top it all off, I was able to show that Aleister Crowley himself. I was just going to mention, you know, you're talking expats and British agents and and the occult and stuff. And, and I remember a conversation with you several years ago when you were researching the book about, about Crowley. Yeah, I called you. I can remember that conversation. I was walking around downtown Redlands that very day I called you. I can remember that moment asking you about Crowley. I was able to determine that Aleister Crowley himself, um, it is a known fact that he was in Southern California during the time of this mystery. I was able to show that he had to have passed through San Bernardino just days before our mystery woman, Cora Stanton, was found dead. And boy, oh boy, spiritualist Walter Prince, Harry Houdini, and then Aleister Crowley on the scene. Things went down a possible occult road right there. You know, it's interesting here to also consider, and this is going to be more research than anybody would ever want, and that mm -hmm. is, if something weird happened, if there was any connection with all these events, it wasn't just coincidence, would it have been repeated in other part of the country where some of these people were present at the time? You know, if you're looking for connections, I guess that's the kind of thing to consider. Is that a possibility, or is that just complete foolishness? And I'll grant it could be I foolishness. Would... You might have that answer in our next segment, which is why we're going to make a cliffhanger out of it. But it could be <laughs> foolishness, or it could be something significant. I mean, if they all gathered in San Bernardino, where else did they gather 
No connection? That's fine. Walter Bosley talking about two books covering Empire of the Wheel. More to come. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Can you pluck a chicken in about 90 seconds? You can with Power Plucker. Plucking by hand is a chore, but the Power Plucker makes it fast and easy. Simply chuck Power Plucker into your power drill and watch those feathers fly off. Save time and money with our complete home processing kits, too. For free USA shipping and 10% discount, go to PowerPlucker.com and enter promo code RADIO. PowerPlucker.com, the only drill-powered poultry plucker. You are now in the crosshairs. The NSA and the FBI are treating you like a criminal and monitoring your every move. Ron Paul said recently, the evidence of the totalitarian nature of this government is on display undeniably every day. What's taking place right now is a coup and the destruction of the Constitution. Fortunately, there is something you can do about it. Learn how to be invisible, lock down your privacy, and even disappear forever. Go to privacylockdown.com to learn how. That's privacylockdown.com. It's hurricane and wildfire season again. Why do thousands of people sit in these reoccurring problem areas year after year, betting their lives that the disaster won't get them? Hundreds of you helped eFoods Direct ship 50,000 donated meals to the Oklahoma victims. The problem is we can't help everybody. If every one of us who can will take care of ourselves, we can all pitch in to take care of those who really can't. The new just-in-case pack from eFoods Direct is the big brother to the seven-day emergency pack designed for Oklahoma disaster donations. It contains a two-month supply for one person, or a one-month supply for two adults, or a two-week supply for a family of four. The $320 price is $50 less than retail. Call 800-409-5633 on the web eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Order two or more, get 10% off, free shipping applies. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, 
If you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, Walter Bosley talking about the strange circumstances possibly behind seven murders in San Bernardino County in California in 1915. And he talked about the confluence of events here where Alastair Crowley and Harry Houdini and other people were in and around that area around the same time. So the question here is, Walter, were they ever in other areas at the same time? And is it worth looking for murders there, too? I think absolutely it's worth looking. Anyone who, um, you know, uh, is is interested in what Rick and I wrote about in, in the first book, especially, you know, if, if you would be looking for it in your area or other areas, um, you know, the, the thing to do is to find out um, where a geomorphologist or someone who's an expert in telluric current or even somebody who's seriously into identifying, you know, earth grid energies, someone who can, you know, trust as reasonably as you can, you know, can identify this for you and then start looking for unsolved murders. Or particularly missing persons, you know, and if you're able to start linking these unsolved murder victims to the grid, you know, that's a start. That's a lead. You know, does it necessarily mean, aha, this is going on there? No, just with that alone, you cannot conclude that. I'm just saying that's a start. Um, and what I'm saying is that I, I don't think what I've discovered would necessarily be exclusive to San Bernardino. It just, Rick and I present evidence of the possibility that this happened in San Bernardino at this time, at that particular time, 1915, but uh, certainly. And we go on to point out that uh, we think the Zodiac Killer was doing just that thing up in the Bay Area as well as in Southern California. Okay, so you bring up the Zodiac Killer. So mm-hmm. do we find any connections at all between the circumstances of those 1915 incidents and what the Zodiac Killer is reputed to have done? Well, um, it is suspected very reasonably that the Zodiac Killer, um, at some point in his life, uh, was a resident of the Inland Empire. And and that's kind of a flag right there. And what that says to me, and, and to Rick and I together, is that it's very possible that the Zodiac Killer had somehow learned about the Coruscantin thing and had maybe read, you know, the very same reports. And because I think it's been fairly well established that he was some type of student of the occult and such. And and we argue that if we're aware of this 
energy grid. And if we learned about the Coruscant thing, certainly anyone else could have as well. And certainly, why not the Zodiac Killer? What kind of gave me goosebumps was, again, this map that I had, you know, been in possession of for, you know, like a, a year, around a year. When I decided to look at the Zodiac killings, because one of the killings, um, which is considered and credited to by most people to be uh, a Zodiac killer uh, victim attack, was uh, Sherry Jo Bates over here at Riverside Community College. Now, whether you accept the idea, because Zodiac claimed her, Zodiac did indeed claim her. Some people question that, you know, okay, was he just claiming someone else's victim or, or whatever? But that, that's a whole other argument that we, we don't get into. The fact is that where Sherry Jo Bates was murdered, whoever did it, they did it according to the map I have and had in my possession for a year before I made the Zodiac Connection. Sherry Jo Bates' murder site was dead on this grid and actually in a straight line conjunction from an important nodal site as identified by the guy who did the map for me. And I thought, okay, set aside whether you believe in this energy grid or not, or, or you know, set aside whether you believe in these occult ideas related to it. What I argue is, is that the Zodiac Killer, whoever he was, and the murderer of Sherry Jo Bates, whoever he was, this individual believed in this stuff because when I plotted all the known Zodiac attacks, they too fell on the lines of the grid, uh, you know, as it's laid out, as it exists, so to speak, up in the Bay Area. And that that kind of was startling. Um, it's really the the one thing that ties all the victims together, theoretically. Now, theoretically, they never found out who the Zodiac Killer was, although there were suspicions. That's right. Well, there were suspicions, but they were never really able to prove or nail the crimes to any of the uh, uh, suspects. And one argument could be that there was more than one person involved. Now, of course, there are Zodiac experts, Zodiac aficionados, uh, many of them, you know, just self-proclaimed who, you know, oh, my gosh, that's, uh, you know, they would they would argue vehemently against the idea. You know, it was just, a, you know, it's kind of like Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman. You know, the Zodiac killer was a lone nut, and they insist on that. Um, I just personally disagree with that as a certainty. Um, could have been one guy, could have been more than one guy. You know, we, we just don't know. Uh, Rick and I, in, in the first Empire of the Wheel book, we do not even attempt to identify the Zodiac Killer, what we do is present, based on what we have, the idea that the Zodiac Killer was attacking his victims in conjunction with this this energy grid. Now, if we look at that around the country, do we find a higher incidence of possible serial killings near a grid? Well, I haven't, you know, I've been so busy with just working on what happened here in the Inland Empire that I haven't even begun, and that would be a great thing for another uh, researcher to look into and take up. Absolutely, I, well, I, get, I would... Walter, give me a copy of the map. I'll overlay it on the uh, areas of high incidence in the cattle mutilation phenomenon that I'm currently Absolutely. writing about. Yeah. And, we're putting some pretty fascinating things together here, all from this one incident. You were saying? 
what did you want me to elaborate on? We're starting a whole thing here, but I guess the big question here is, as we look at this, have you reached yet a brick wall in learning more about this case? Because it looks like you're trying or succeeding in attaching other things. In fact, there's mention in the blurb for your book something like, for example, the 1897 airships. How would that relate? Uh, the Friends of Son- in, from Sonora. That's right. Yes. Well, there we go to that thread I uh, mentioned earlier related to the gentleman arrested on the train. Now, during the research for the first book, this this incident, this gentleman was kind of sticking out to us like a sore thumb, to me especially. You know, what's going on here? You know, here we have what appears to have been, you know, a serial killer, possibly, on the rampage. And here we have what appears to be our perfect suspect, a guy kind of, you know, having a nervous breakdown on a train, hallucinating the face of a woman who he says that people are accusing him of assaulting, you know, 10 days after a woman is found dead. And he's in possession of a woman's purse. And um, at that time, it was, I think, the day before Cora Stanton's purse and, and alleged purse and her alleged hat and suicide note were all found. So, um, you know, here's the perfect uh, suspect, right? So they arrest him, and as I said, they take him to the hospital. He is uh, diagnosed um, as uh, just, you know, I forgot how they uh, put it off the top of my head, but, you know, he was really, he was losing it. And then he's just released into the custody of unidentified friends from Sonora, was how the, uh, the newspaper put it. Well... You got to ask, you know, I said, okay, uh, friends from Sonora, is that in, there's a Sonora in Texas, there's Sonora, Mexico, of course, you know, and then, of course, there's Sonora, California. So I looked at the guy's name, Frank Rosasco, and sure enough, I found a prominent Rosasco ranching family in Tuolumne County up there by Sonora, California. So then I went, holy smokes, what do we have here? Because isn't it interesting um, that uh, in Sonora, California, we have linked the legend of the Sonora Aero Club, A-E-R-O, and, this, uh, and the, the whole Charles Delshaw thing about the guys who in the 1850s had discovered, allegedly, um, the anti-gravity propulsion and were building flying machines and, and secretly flying them around Tuolumne County, and, and they would... Um, uh, house their uh, flying machines in barns on private property owned by the ranchers. We're now getting into something almost related to the UFO mystery, although this is not a UFO-related show, at least I don't think that it is. We have Walter Bosley joining us, trying to unearth all the events surrounding a series of unusual apparent murders in San Bernardino Valley. A lot more to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Bearcast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. There are those curious about Bitcoins and those using and making money with Bitcoins. What are Bitcoins? A Bitcoin is the first decentralized currency that can be easily transferred from person to person over the Internet. No bank needed. This means lower fees and accounts can never be frozen, limited or closed. You are in control of your money. And the best part? You can start earning and making money with Bitcoins right away. No computer or expertise is required to earn money with Bitcoins, and a growing number of merchants now accept Bitcoins. Plus, they're easily exchanged for dollars, euros, and more. Learn more about the easiest, cheapest, most profitable way to enter the Bitcoin market and get paid every two weeks by one of the fastest-growing Bitcoin miners in the world at cloudhashing.com. Just like it sounds, cloudhashing.com. That's cloudhashing.com. We mine your business. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Yes, the trickster voice will soon emerge from Chris O'Brien. Because now we're starting to find some really strange stuff. Yeah, and in another interesting correlation, Walter, um, I was reunited with my birth family in in 2001, and most of them live in Sonora. (laughs) Did you ask them what went on in 1915? You know, I haven't, but uh, I don't really have any relatives alive that that would know about that. But they have been in the area since about that time, so... It's an interesting area. It's a it's a wonderful place. Well, I haven't been there yet. I'm going there uh, after I finish shooting my film. I'll be going there to actually talk with a source, um, you know, relative to following up on this second book and and what I'm pursuing the you know the loose end of, of the third book. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it was something that was just kind of hanging there, and because the first book doesn't get into that, it was something that you know it was a thread I wanted to pull afterwards and see where it led and. And, uh, you know, just holy smokes, it, um, it it really did, you know, open up um, a whole can that really became the second book. Um, because I never would have imagined that there was, you know, anything remotely connected to the Aero Club uh, associated with any of this. I, I thought we were only dealing with, you know, some crazy, you know, occult-driven serial killer at, at the most. You know, um, and at the very least, uh, you know, just, um, you know, your your average run-of-the-mill psychopath, so to speak. 
As if they're out of the mill. Okay, so now we're raising a whole can of worms here about Aero Club and how could it have been related. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the second book steps away from the, uh, uh, the, 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 the murder investigation aspect of it. It steps away from the occult aspect as it's looked at in the first book. The second book um, purely follows the thread that's pulled with, um, with Frank Rosasco and um, the, the, the Arrow Club stuff. And for those not familiar, um, it's, wow, how do you nutshell this? Basically, um, there was the 1890s airship mystery, which a lot of folks that are, um, you know, scholars of and, and, and fans of uh, UFO lore and such and history are familiar with. But before that, 40 years before that, um, there was the mystery of the Sonora Aero Club in California, as written about, revealed, so to speak, by a German immigrant named Charles Delschau, who came to California. Now, this is by his own account. He came to California on behalf of a mysterious organization he said was called NIMZA, N-Y-M-Z-A, to observe and report on the progress and activities of this Sonora Aero Club, which was being run by a group of German immigrants in uh, the Tuolumne County area. And allegedly, the leader of this group, a man named Peter Menace, knew the secret of anti-gravity propulsion is the best way we could put it. Uh, today, it, it, he had this um, this mechanism that uh, Del Shaw, you know, describes and illustrates in his uh, famous painting, and uh, it is fueled by something that Menace called Supa S U P E soup or Supa, and it was a, a green liquid apparently. And this mechanism, uh, to me, instantly when I saw the pictures of it, uh, reminded me of the the, the so-called Nazi bell, um, which they allegedly got from the what we call the Mercury Vortex engines of the ancient Vimanas. And so, wow, you know, here here suddenly we have all, all this stuff. What in the heck is this about? And how in the heck does it relate, if at all, to what was going on in San Bernardino in 1915? So the second book focuses more on the woman known as Cora Stanton, and two other victims, E.P. Braid and uh, O.H. Bailey, and, of course, Frank Rosasco himself, and how they might have been involved in all this airship stuff and why the airship uh, milieu um, is to be found mixed in with all this strange stuff, you know, going on in 1915 San Bernardino. All right, let's mix it up a little bit more. How do you relate mm-hmm. it? How can you possibly relate something about airships to people getting killed? Well, again, it goes back to look at what was going on in 1915. You have a world war going on, and uh, who are the players in it? You know, Germany, you know, and in, in, in England mainly. Um, 
and you have a German hand in the airship mystery. Now, I know there's folks out there that, you know, um, have, have expressed, you know, uh, difficulty with any German connection to this. And I know that, you know, the mysterious Nimza has been written off as um, the fantasy that Del Shao made up. And uh, uh, the, the one that cracks me up is is that it's it's a uh, an, an expression of some type of sexual psychological thing going on there. That one is, I find amusing. But uh, Del Shao in his writings very specifically says that NIMSA was an organization based in Germany, headquartered in Germany. He himself was a German immigrant. You had German immigrants that were really the guys leading the Sonora Aero Club. And yet the attempts at translation of NIMSA have always focused on New York because NIMSA being NYMZA, and because there had been mention of uh, money and, and financial backers coming from New York uh, bankers and financiers. So therefore, the focus always stopped at New York. NYMZA, well, it must be New York something, and one of them is the New York Motors Zephyr Association, which is reasonable. Yeah, I get that one. Um, uh, however, when you look at what Del Shao himself said, um, my thinking was that it couldn't really couldn't be a New York answer. You know, let's look at the German possibilities. So that's where I end up coming up with the German translation for Nimza, and the book goes into that in much greater uh, explanation and detail than I can do justice here. Because, uh, admittedly, I'm not a German linguist or a German speaker, but I went to people who are. And um, so there you have a whole German connection to this airship thing, and here you have World War I uh, going on. And when you get into the, the, the whole thing about bankers and war and secret technology and stuff, then you wonder, okay, why would these guys be interested in what was going on in San Bernardino in 1915? And I think the answer to that question um, probably lies with the energy grid, because um, my analysis in the second book, as it's presented, uh, presents the evidence for the idea that the airships and how they operated linked into this energy grid. Um, and therefore, anybody doing on, anything on the energy grid, these airship guys would have been keenly interested in. In other words, you know, if this is a grid they rely on for their secret technology, and somebody's, you know, conducting some shenanigans, particularly involving murder and such, on this energy grid, they theoretically are going to be interested in exactly what these guys are doing and why and how this is going to affect their operation. And that is the the speculation, the, the theory that, you know, I present um, with, you know, the, the, the supporting details of the argument in the second book. Now, and, what you told us earlier is that this Arrow group started working mm -hmm. on this alleged anti-gravity machine what, in the middle of the 19th century, like the 1850s or something. So we're going 50, 65 years into the future to see mm -hmm. where that led. So the question would be, well, if you felt that they had this possible invention, did they ever succeed in building any real aircraft? And if so, 
What happened to that real aircraft? So many questions, so little time. Sounds like something else, but I won't quote it because it relates to a movie. The books are under the collective titles of Empire of the Wheel. And we have Walter Bosley joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Mike Stennerson for Midas Resources. At no time in history have precious metals been more important, certainly not in my 22 years in the industry. The dollar has lost over 90% of its value in the last 60 years. No fiat currency has ever survived the government printing presses. Ours is not immune. The time is now to be proactive. 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Anything tied to the dollar is at risk. CDs, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, stocks, bonds, you name it, so decide. Do you want to leave a legacy of wealth or debt for your family? The choice is yours. Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Nutritious food is real body armor. It builds muscle, burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses 
uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris, Walter Bosley joins us. Fascinating here. This Arrow Group or Society from California. Any evidence at all that they actually developed something that works or worked? Before Walter answers that, we, we must remind our listeners that the the first reported events of the 1896-1897 uh, airship wave happened just down the hill from Sonora, um, outside of Sa- Sacramento, uh, right. California. And uh, exactly. there's very interesting correlations there in terms of just, just sheer geography. Exactly, exactly. And, I, and that leads into my, my initial answer to the, the question there is that, the first of all, you have, let, let's, let's all agree here. You, you brought up what is the problem with this whole story of the Aero Club. The, the, the problem is, where is this technology? How, you know, how, how come in World War I and the 20th century, you know, we were dealing with biplanes and zeppelins, and then in World War II, you know, we're still using propeller-driven aircraft. I mean, you know, what, what the heck is going on here? That is admittedly part of a problem with the whole idea that there were these guys with this, this advanced technology. Of course, that also relates to the common question that if we unearthed alien technology in Roswell because of a UFO crash. Where is that technology? But let's go back to the 1890s. That's a good point. Very good point. But when you, when you look at the Del Shell description of these arrows, these are very primitive um, uh, expressions of the use of this technology. So as it developed, um, I, would, I would point to the 1890s airship mystery itself, just as Chris pointed out, um, with uh, what looks like an apparent connection to the Sonora Aero Club mystery, because as he, Chris said, the first sighting in the 1890s airship mystery was right up the road, you know, in, in Sacramento. So, so you could point to the 1890s airship mystery as the first part of the answer to that question. Now, the second part is where did it develop from there? Well. We have these stories of what the uh, Nazi engineers were doing, uh, uh, messing around with as early as the late 1920s and into the 1930s with the Bell and the stories of their attempts to do flying saucers and such. And, um, you know, no matter what you think of that stuff, you know, those stories are there. And um, Joseph Farrell has done probably the uh, one of the very best jobs on analysis of, you know, in his book Roswell on the Right, of what the Germans actually were as a matter of historical record. In fact, what they were developing that would support the idea that um, this technology, you know, was, you know, emerging, being shared and such. Now, the book, the second Empire of the Wheel book does not go into that, you know, in in any kind of detail. It alludes to it. But the, the point of all this is, yes, the problem is 
if they had it since the 1850s, as early as the 1850s, where is it now? Where has it been? But the potential answer to that is, well, look at the airship mystery. Well, look at these stories of, you know, the early 20th century flying saucers. Well, look at Roswell and ask yourself, hmm, what really and who really was that? That You know, that's where uh, you might find the answers to that question. That almost raises the crypto-terrestrial theory that there is mm-hmm. an organization, society, or civilization on Earth that has these advanced aircraft, and they yep. fly them around, but we still don't understand their motives, their purpose, or why they don't let themselves be known, or maybe they are known to governments. Well, my book goes into that. I uh, get into the, the second book, um, Empire of the Wheel 2, Friends from Sonora. It goes into the breakaway civilization as um, you know, a possible explanation for uh, what was going on with these arrows and these airships and what was going on um, as far as they're involved with the 1915 mystery in San Bernardino. And um, it explains about how, uh, in, in my personal theories, that the original NIMSA, which was the umbrella organization over all these different um, aero clubs, which, remember, Delshaw said there were several aero clubs, or, or, or more than one aero club, certainly, around various areas of the U.S. And uh, in my research and in my book, I go into the argument that um, this organization, these groups, divided into two factions. You would have had one faction, based on the evidence, you know, in my analysis of it, that was uh, really committed to the advancement of this technology and what it could have done um, commercially, so to speak, and then the other one that was more esoterically driven. And by 1915, I argue, theoretically, that these were two distinct factions that were in opposition to each other, but two distinct factions which um, were essentially um, factions of a breakaway civilization, so to speak, that had their reasons for keeping this technology to themselves. That's been discussed by authors who are much more knowledgeable about this, you know, than I am, the breakaway civilization, so to speak, and those concepts. But uh, it's an interesting, interesting concept that fits really, really well with, you know, what we know, allegedly, about the airship mystery, the aero clubs, and all that secret technology stuff. Well, here's the way... I'm looking at it also, and that is here, is there any reason whatsoever, granted there's a breakaway civilization, granted that we have different fractions, granted that they've developed advanced aircraft of one type or another, any reason to relate any of that to these killings? Yes, um, the, the book goes into that, but as far as the adults are concerned, the, the book argues that the woman, Cora Stanton, was um, actually a government source asset or possibly agent whose work for the government had exposed her to the breakaway civilization uh, network uh, players and that she was in San Bernardino um, investigating um, either on behalf of the government um, or possibly um, linked to one of the factions and she basically, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, learned too much, that kind of thing, and was murdered by an opposition agent. And that two other of the adults were the victims were involved in all this. Um, one of them was uh, 
very possibly murdered by opposition agents. Uh, the other one possibly faked his death because we go into who who he was, might have been and why he would have faked his death. I mean, it really, I'm telling you, it's, it's, um, there's all sorts of interesting facets to this little jewel uh, that I've uncovered here in, in San Bernardino. And anyway, as, as agents involved either with, with um, you know, the war and the government, um, the, the man who I just mentioned who might have faked his death, um, if, if I'm right, uh, in, my theory is that he was a very wealthy industrialist and very possibly one of the investors in the airship technology that would have, uh, you know, connected him to uh, knowledge of it and the, the players and, and the extent of their technology. And right there might have been a reason for why his life was in danger. Um, so that's the angle that the second book goes into. We'll try to put more of this together in our next segment. We have Walter Bosley joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com There are those curious about Bitcoins and those using and making money with Bitcoins. What are Bitcoins? A Bitcoin is the first decentralized currency that can be easily transferred from person to person over the Internet. No bank needed. This means lower fees and accounts can never be frozen, limited or closed. You are in control of your money. And the best part? You can start earning and making money with Bitcoins right away. No computer or expertise is required to earn money with Bitcoins, and a growing number of merchants now accept Bitcoins. Plus, they're easily exchanged for dollars, euros, and more. Learn more about the easiest, cheapest, most profitable way to enter the Bitcoin market and get paid every two weeks by one of the fastest-growing Bitcoin miners in the world at cloudhashing.com. Just like it sounds, cloudhashing.com. That's cloudhashing.com. We mine your business. Great news, pure water lovers. B-
BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has a special discount offer for all GCN listeners. You can't do better than a Big Berkey for economy. For only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. There's none better than a Big Berkey for emergency preparedness as a backup water source. And you just can't beat a Big Berkey to remove dangerous chlorine, all types of fluoride, pathogenic bacteria, cysts, parasites, and unhealthy byproducts from municipal water. Berkey water filter systems are even powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. For the gold standard in water filters, get a Big Berkey at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And all GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. For details, call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux, and most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlkaVision Plasma pH drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com, A-L-K-A-Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. This sounds like a movie, Walter Bosley. Oh, that'd be nice. Speaking of movies, uh, one of the more compelling things that you bring into this whole interesting brew is uh butch cassidy and the sundance kid you want to <laughs> give us uh the lowdown on how they actually uh were brought into this whole scenario sort of peripherally no absolutely um wow um this this was the doozy for me to be honest this, this was the biggie for me <laughs> basically you have this uh, this German association in this milieu of these guys in the you know the American West, and it, 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 it's kind of hard to do in a nutshell, to, to to be honest. It really started with Cora Stanton. Here I had this mystery woman um, who nobody knew who she was, and and the identity of Cora Stanton. The first book goes into in great detail. Rick and I are convinced that that was not her real name. That was a false identity, and the first book explains why as I said, in great detail. So we come away um, convinced that the woman, so-called Cora Stanton, that was not her true identity. She shows up in town. Nobody knows her. You know, she turns up dead. Um, the only people to see her alive are the, uh, you know, is a receptionist in a doctor's office that uh, she went into the afternoon of the night she died. And um, after she dies, you know, she's found floating in a lake, uh, it, it's later discovered um, by the medical examiner that she's got poison, bichloride of mercury. Interesting that the only poison victim in this uh, whole mystery out of uh, four poison victims 
they were able to identify the poison in her system because it was a well-known uh, substance, chemical back then, a poisonous chemical. Um, but nobody knows who she is. I mean, hundreds of people, a few thousand people were kind of paraded through the, uh, according to the news report, through the mortuary that was serving as the, um, as the morgue in this case. And nobody knew who she was. Her name was unknown for um, going on like 11 days. It was all over the newspaper, you know, who, who is this woman, if anyone knows who she is, and, you know, please come identify her. Only a physical description was given. And um, then, like I said, 11 days after she's found dead, somebody stumbles upon a, uh, a purse, a hat, and a suicide note. And in this suicide note is the name Cora Sandham. And that was the first time and the only thing that ever identified this woman as Cora Stanton. Well, within hours or within an hour or so of this purse and note being found, a man walks into the mortuary claiming that he knows Cora Stanton, known her for a long time, knew her in Iowa, and uh, before she went to El Paso, Texas, like the letter states she's from El Paso, and when he's shown the body, allegedly he doesn't recognize it, and then before the police can get there to question him, he disappears. The name he gives, you know, the, the leads followed on it turn up nothing. Where he says he lived and where he says he worked, nobody there knows him. And he himself becomes a mystery. So, you know, I'm wondering, well, what the heck is going on with this? And, you know, who is this woman? And, uh, you know, it was, it was left this big mystery. Uh, oh, I, I might add that she was 35 years old and found to be a virgin. And, uh, you know, so this, this whole thing is very strange. So I, I go back to do the second book, and I'm jumping back in to uh, look at my um, uh, information and sources on missing persons at the time. I was actually going back to look deeper into O.H. Bailey, the, the first victim who I mentioned before, and it's in the first book. And I happened to come across a name, a historical figure that I never knew was considered a missing person. And so I thought... Wow, I wonder. So I looked at uh, this famous woman's physical description, and I kind of got, you know, those investigators' intuitive goosebumps. And the, the deeper I looked into it, the more interesting things I found, and it basically led to my theory, which is presented in the book to the extent that I can support it, my theory that the true identity of Cora Stanton was at a place, the associate of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, who, by the way, returned from South America before Butch and Sundance allegedly were killed, and who disappeared in 1909. And so I thought, gosh, you know, could it be um, the physical descriptions um, are nearly exact? You know, Edda disappeared in 1909. Cora, no one knows anything about her. Um, I began to look into uh, could Etta Place have been working um, as some type of law enforcement source against you know on Butch and Sundance and their circles. Um, and the book EOW Two Empire of the Wheel Two goes into all this. And it is my position presently that Etta Place is actually buried here in San Bernardino under the name Cora Stanton. And again, the book book explains all that. Now, how does that tie in? to all this airship mystery and all this strange stuff. Well, yeah. Butch and Sundance went down to South America, as we know, 
that what I didn't know was all the interesting things that went on between them and E.H. Harriman, the uh, the head of the Union Pacific Railroad, and his association to German bankers. Oh, silence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Walter. It kind of sounds a little, a, a little bit tenuous. You are kind of jumping around here, and obviously... Uh, well, the book goes into much, much more greater detail. But it's uh, tenuous here in a conversation that I got to fit it into a couple of minutes. But I guarantee you, in the book, there's uh, a little bit more um, uh, detail, um, you know, presented to back it up. I mean, am I absolutely certain? Do I have a smoking gun, as so to speak? No. Um, however, as I said, that's that's kind of what the book is for—the details. Um, but uh, I thought, wow, uh, Butch and Sundance, Butch Cassidy um, allegedly had, well, we know, not allegedly, um, he, we know that he had gone to the governor of Utah to discuss amnesty for his crimes, and the governor of Utah said, well, you know, you're going to have to go to the E.H. Harriman, the head of the Union Pacific Railroad, you know, he's the one that's going to have to drop the charges. So we're told that a man who went to a governor of a state of a state um, keenly interested in amnesty. We're told that after he's told that all he's got to do is go to the railroad guy, history tells us that he just gave up on that and just kept up his life of uh, crime. Well, when you look closely at the details, you find out that uh, that E. H. Harriman himself made an overture to Butch through a, a mutual associate. That he would like to discuss with Butch, Butch's amnesty. Of course, we're told that Butch, who already asked for amnesty, was suddenly not interested in that, and we're told that he never met with E. H. Harriman. But the funny thing is, after E. H. Harriman expressed this interest, as well as Butch had, Butch and his gang robbed a Union Pacific asset only one more time after that, and then shortly after that, uh, Butch and Sundance. The, the members of their gang, which had always been able to flee and escape law enforcement, were suddenly getting caught. And uh, Butch and Sundance were never involved in the shootings of law enforcement. They, they had never. Here's the interesting thing. Butch Cassidy and, and Harry Longabaugh, the Sundance kid, were never known to have killed anyone. And yet Harry Longabaugh was well known to be quite a marksman. You know, what What kind of marksmen do we have hanging out with uh, bad guys who, you know, bad guys who are shooting at people and stuff who himself never gets involved with uh, killing somebody? Well, we could argue that a law enforcement agent or undercover asset uh, might explain that. And the book goes into why I suspect that Harry Longabaugh himself may have been an asset for law enforcement. You know, instead of being an hour and 45-minute movie, we've gone into a four-hour or possibly two-part movie here because it's getting so <laughs> intricate. We've got airships. We have serial killers. We have Germans. We have spies. We have Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The mind is boggling. And people long ago said that my mind was somehow boggled for one reason or another that we won't mention on the air. But we're not <laughs> going to be boggling anymore here except to say that we have Walker Bosley back for one more segment with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. Is your dream more time, more money, or better health? Stop by our Longevity booth at the Minnesota State Fair and say hello to the GCN team reps and get your healthy energy drink on the way to the fair. Sign up for door prizes and find out about our amazing home-based business opportunity as featured in Success Magazine, located near the main entry to the State Fair off Snelling and Dan Patch Avenue at 1366 Snelling Avenue North or call 651-261-2040. You know about RVs, you've heard about bunkers, but surviving is not recreation, and man wasn't made to live underground. Introducing Survivalist Camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid survival bug-out house that's mobile, well-equipped, and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Go to survivalistcamps.com to learn more. That's survivalistcamps.com, providing your basic needs to survive. Survivalistcamps.com. It's hurricane and wildfire season again. Why do thousands of people sit in these reoccurring problem areas year after year, betting their lives that the disaster won't get them? Hundreds of you helped eFoods Direct ship 50,000 donated meals to the Oklahoma victims. The problem is we can't help everybody. If every one of us who can will take care of ourselves, we can all pitch in to take care of those who really can't. The new just-in-case pack from eFoods Direct is the big brother to the seven-day emergency pack designed for Oklahoma disaster donations. It contains a two-month supply for one person, or a one-month supply for two adults, or a two-week supply for a family of four. The $320 price is $50 less than retail. Call 800-409-5633 on the web eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Order two or more, get 10% off, free shipping applies. Call 800-409-5633 on the web eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Ouch! My back is out again. Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit drortman.com. That's Dr. O R T M A N.com. Or call us today, 952 303 9124. That's 952 303 9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, Chiropractic Done Right. 
This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, I have to tell you that we did put up a question bank thread in our forums at forum.theparacast.com that has lots of questions. A lot of it is stuff that Walter has already answered in our forums, so you can go for the answers there. And we don't have time to repeat any of that stuff because we're just getting started and we're almost at the end of the show. So with all these disparate elements working together, I mean... Is it possible that it's all coincidence and we have a separate set of murders, we have separate airships, we have Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Is it all just a crazy coincidence? How do you put it together and say there's more to it? Well, you know, yeah, it it could all be just, uh, you know, unconnected. Um, A whole bunch of it could just be flat out, you know, that, that, uh, you know, my my theories could be wrong, Um, my analysis. Uh, could be wrong on on some stuff. I mean, it could, it, you know, maybe maybe none of it happened the way I'm proposing that it possibly happened. I, I will tell you, if you were to ask me, what are you the most certain of out of all this stuff? I'll tell you, I am. And remember, I'm saying most, not 100 percent. Okay, um, but I am most confident with um, a couple of things. Number one, that. Cora Stanton was at a place. And the other thing is that the Zodiac Killer was indeed um, killing people in association with the energy grid. But, but you know, to stick with what we were just talking about, I'm, uh, you know, it, uh, yeah, it could, it, it could all be not the way, you know, I, I'm seeing it. But what's intriguing is, and, and you know, others who have looked at it um, have said, wow, what's intriguing is the preponderance of circumstances and um, uh, possible evidence that it is or something very close to how I've analyzed it and Rick and I presented it, um, it is the case. But, uh, you know, yeah, could, could I be wrong? Yeah, any of us could be wrong with, with any of our research. We could be, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, part of looking into these things is, is the fact that there are strange, intriguing circumstances and facts that... You know, it, it's kind of fun to try to put these things together, and um, you know, we, we could all be wrong with anything. Who knows? I, I really, the way I present it is, you know, hey, here's this bunch of weird stuff that I found. Here's these strange possible connections, and uh, you know, here's what I think is possible. You know, I leave it to the reader. You know, what do you think? I do not. I don't get into debating things. I am not trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, not on the hard sell, anyway. I, I, I just, you know, I present it and think what you will. That's honestly my approach. Well, um, that's that's a really good place for me to to, to branch off here uh, and ask a question by Burnt State, who's one of our our uh, active posters at forum.theparacast.com. And one of his questions is: Is how would you describe the type of writing and research you complete? You often connect mm-hmm. together very disparate pieces of research, which then get translated, reinterpreted, connected to a form very complex, uh, like a, a, a complex historical tapestry. So he wonders, uh, would you describe yourself as a revisionist historian, a speculator of alternative historical realities, a connoisseur of the unusual? 
How would you describe uh, your writing and research? Uh, I, you know, I've never really thought of what I'm doing or myself in terms of um, uh, of labels, and and um, not that there's particularly any necessarily anything wrong with with a label. I just honestly, I, I hadn't thought about that. These books, um, because they're not really, you know, the, the books aren't about me and my experiences. The, the, so my focus hasn't been on, you know, how to, you know how would I describe what I'm doing here? I'm just doing it if that makes sense. Uh, I don't know if revisionist, you know, historian would be accurate. It, I would look at it more as maybe filling in curious blanks, you know, uh, may, maybe finding the, 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 the strange little bits that, that fill in the holes and blanks. So it doesn't so much as revise as maybe uh, helps, you know, tune in better a picture. But I do realize that, you know, what I'm looking at, my theories and, and what Rick and I, you know, present, it, I re- we realize what realm it's in. And that's why we try to present, you know, especially with the first book, we say repeatedly, you do not have to agree with these, you know, with the idea of of the energy line and, 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 you know, killing somebody on an energy line will do something magical. What we're saying is, is that we think the perpetrators, if these were murders, might have believed in that. Now, the second book, it's, yeah, it's, you know, you, you have to kind of be open to the premise, the possibility that there were these airships and these aeroplanes. If you're just not open to it, if you just can't accept the notion, then you probably are wasting your time reading my book. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try to hard sell my book. I'd rather sell 10 copies to people sincerely open and interested than 100 copies to people that just are, are just not open to it. And, you know, or seriously, um, I'm, I'm literally not getting rich off of it. And that's not my my primary motive. It's available, by the way, as an ebook, And it doesn't mean that they can't sell a million copies. But, you know, you either have it or you don't. Uh, because I footnoted the book, the initial editions that came out upon first release, it was not footnoted. And then about a month later, I released the footnoted edition. So the current edition available on Kindle is footnoted. Um, I've been having a little technical difficulties in getting the footnoted edition loaded into the print-on-demand program. But once I get that loaded correctly, the print-on-demand version will be available. And by the way, if you have a problem with that, Walter, let me know later. I've done that kind of thing. Maybe I can help you a little bit with it. We have a couple of minutes left here, Walter Bosley. Where do you take this research next to try to put more stuff together? Oh, boy. Where it goes next is actually what I discovered prior to learning about Coruscantin. That has to do with um, another area of the Inland Empire, and some connections I found that uh, were kind of um, kind of startling, and uh, it, it, it returns to the milieu of strange and, and dark murder and the occult, and that's pretty much uh, it, it involves voodoo, it involves ancient history. And that's pretty much what I'll say about that. And it, uh, the thread that goes through all of this is Mr. Frank Rosasco, who we've been talking about, the man from, with the friends from Sonora. He factors in the third book as well. But um, it, uh, it, it goes away from the airship mystery. It goes away from Etta Place and, and returns to the, the, the strange story of um, occult 
murder and darkness in the Inland Empire. Walter Bosley, tell our listeners where they can get copies of these two books and, of course, the third when it comes out. Well, at Amazon.com, on Kindle, I'd like to remind everybody or tell those who don't know, Amazon gives the Kindle application away for free, so not having a Kindle device is no reason to not read, you know, is no reason to to not read a Kindle book, because you can download the Kindle app onto your computer, your laptop, whatever, your phone, smartphone, whatever, and you too can have Kindle books without a Kindle device. Uh, So right now, that's where it's available, both of the books, and very soon, uh, print-on-demand, um, and then, of course, the third book will be available, hopefully in December. Okay, Walter, do you have a site or a place our listeners can get in touch with you if they have questions or maybe some more more information to present? Yes, I have um, empireofthewheel.blogspot.com. That is the site for this research and activities related to it. I will link to that, so those of you who want to know more, especially the next book, Empire of the Wheel 3, The Nameless Ones. Speaking of nameless, Chris O'Brien, where do we find more of your stuff? I'm joking. Uh, okay. Uh, we live on a strange planet, as Walter has very insightfully pointed out, and my site is Our Strange Planet. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. You can find us on Twitter where we are known as The Paracast. We're also on Facebook as The Paracast Fan Club. In fact, we have two of them, and one day we'll figure out how to make them one under the same account. Isn't that weird? I'll tell you. But this is weird, this is fun, and it's also ripe for another discussion because we have questions we haven't had time to ask. Walter Bosley, thank you so much for joining us this week on The Paracast. Thank you guys so much for um, having me on and letting me so much about what it is I do. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... The Paracast.